Hi guys, it's Kara, host of Everyone's Business But Mine. And let's be real, one thing that makes the show possible is by selling sponsorships to advertisers. One way you can support us in getting more sponsors is by telling us a little bit more about yourself. You can do that by filling out a quick survey at the link in the show description. Plus, your answers are anonymous. They'll help us learn what you love most about the show and how to make it even better. The questions will ask you about the things that help advertisers understand the audience. It'll only take a few minutes, and it's an easy way to help the show. So you can find the link in the show description. Thank you so much, and stay tuned for the rest of the show. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. That. You guys will never validate someone's feelings unless you can understand it. That's the truth. That is the truth. I, I've expressed so much about my history, my pain, to tell you guys how I feel, and you guys don't listen. You don't care. And it's fine. I don't care. I don't, I don't need that. Honestly. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Everyone's Business But Mine. <laughs> I had a mild panic that that wasn't the actual name of the podcast. See, can't think of the name of a podcast or the name of my podcast. I'm pretty sure I got both of those right, though. Let's move on. How are we doing? Um, You know, my answer is not well, bitch. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to say that I try to keep things light, but I also know that oftentimes I'm like ranting about things and that can be heavy and I get that. So I try to break it up and like mix and match. But um, given what happened in Texas last week, like there's just no room around it. I, I don't want to get into it because if I do, I will talk for three hours. But the biggest part of that is that like I can't personally enact any change because if I could I would have done so a long time ago I'm like truly disgusted by the gun laws in this country I am truly disgusted by like everything that happened I am disgusted by the police force and the culture of police forces that allow just the top to bottom outright failure of these poor children and really this country like I'm just there there are no words you know and so 
the only thing that I can do is just like put my money where my mouth is. And so I donated to Victims First, which is an organization who really, they just donate money. A hundred percent of the proceeds go directly to the victims. And, you know, unfortunately, um, organizations like this have to exist. Um, but this one does, and it seems really great. Um, I'm also going to be later this week donating to the individuals of uh, the individual families that have, you know, senselessly lost these children. And I'm just like, I'm sick about it. I'm, I'm absolutely sick. So I don't, you know, like it, it's hard to do things like this because then I'm like, oh, uh, let's talk about a, bunch, about a bunch of dumb shit now, you know, but I also want and hope that if you need a little bit of a break, that maybe I can help with that in some way. I mean, that's really, you know, you just feel very powerless in situations like this. So I'm trying to use like whatever quote unquote power that I might have to like help make this world a little bit better. That's all I can do. I feel very, you know, like I'm about to cry. <laughs> like I just feel like really disgusted. And so we're going to move on because like I, I can't. So um, other than that, I hope you guys are having a really good week and I'm going to be digging into some people's asses because I'm like really upset. So um, I guess we'll start with our girl. Because really, this is like a person that I don't want to talk about, but they've actually now triggered me and I'm like pissed off and I just read this. <laughs> so maybe this is why I'm like so activated, but like, we're going to talk about Stasi. and I'm telling you, if anybody has direct access to Stasi, and I'm pretty sure at least one or two of you do get this to her. Okay. And you can issue the disclaimer of whatever you want. This is direct message from me. And I, I'm, I'm talking to you. Okay. So the other day she was on a podcast and she said the following with regard to the situation that she got fired for with faith, right? So if you guys don't know, um, several years ago, Stassi from Vanderpump Rules and Kristen Doty, another cast member, um, accused another cast member, Faith Stowers, who is a black woman of, um, uh, burglary because they saw a very grainy, shitty, um, surveillance footage video of a black woman who had been, um, they had been looking for black women, I guess, around the LA area at the time who had been like drugging and, uh, stealing from men. So that was one of the alleged, uh, people and they thought that was faith. And so they worked their very hardest tirelessly to not only try to get her in trouble by calling the, I'm assuming LAPD, but also the military police because she worked in the military at the time. And also we're like very proud of themselves and talked about it on um, podcasts about how they went on this mission to uh, find her and get her in trouble. Now they had 
zero evidence outside of this footage and some gossip. They had nothing to do with the situation. They were not victims of um, any of these crimes. They just didn't like her because Jax, another cast member, had slept with her while he had a girlfriend. So um, rather than trying to hold Jax accountable, they went on this uh, witch hunt of this black girl. It's like, hey, um, here's another black girl. Uh, Clankety clank. Okay. So finally, after years, they were um, held responsible and accountable for it. Well, I wouldn't say accountable. They were held responsible for it in the form of being fired by Bravo. Okay. So after that, she had gone on Tamron Hall saying that she had um, hired a diversity coach and she is learning all these things about how uh, the impact of what she did, yada, yada, yada. I'm growing and I'm learning and blah, 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 blah. Okay. So tell me why in the year of 2020, two years, 2022, two years after she got fired, she goes on this podcast to say, that she and Kristen were not the only people who were involved in that incident. And then she says, in terms of like cast members of Vanderpump Rules, and then she goes on to say, I mean, the cast members I'm friends with, everyone was there. I mean, they witnessed lots of other people were a part of what went down. There were more people involved in quote unquote, the incident that I was fired for. And Kristen and I, obviously we were not going to take people down with us. So we were like, lucky you guys, those of you who didn't got get called out for this. So everyone was pretty kind because I think they were feeling lucky that they didn't, that they still had a job, right? Fuck you. Here's the thing. Like, she, fuck you. Who cares? Who cares? Part of taking responsibility is not being two years later, like, well, other people did the exact same thing I did, but like, lucky them, lucky, how lucky are they and how nice were they to us because they knew that they were also wrong. And like, why even bring this shit up? Why? Because you're broke and you're desperate and you want that spotlight. That's the only thing that I can think of, like why you would feel the need to bring this up. If you really learned and if you really hired that diversity coach, I don't know if you were like, okay, after, after Tamron Hall, uh, let's just wrap this up because um, with my broke ass, the checks aren't coming in. And so I need, um, you know, to save a little bit. Um, and, you know, I know she just had that wedding. So maybe she's just a little strapped for cash, and a little desperate. But the impact of that for black people and of people of color is that like you didn't learn shit you don't care and that you feel like other people should have gone down for that. And like you were the martyr and you were the one who had to fall on the sword and how lucky were they? And first of all, we all know it was Jackson, Brittany. Like we don't have to get into that. And what's the point? Like what is even the point of bringing that up other than to shirk responsibility and literally like look the impact of reading that and hearing that is so triggering to me. Like it's so annoying that you would say that if you actually took responsibility for this you would never say shit like that ever again like it's real like lame rat shit and to what end other than to gain attention for yourself but it's really on the backs of like you hurting this black woman deeply and and you doing it in a way that Many black people have had to have been racially profiled who have just been like, well, their skin looks vaguely like um, the skin of somebody that I know. So uh, copy, please go get her policeman. She did it. I know probably maybe I think so. I'm like pretty sure maybe get her, get her, Joe. 
like fuck off it's, it's just so lame like do you not understand the optics of that at all like truly choke okay and that's all i'm gonna give this bitch i'm not done actually she was dead ass wrong <laughs> She was dead ass wrong. Like, why can't you just let that go? If I did something that was unequivocally racist, uh, I wouldn't be saying shit about that after the apology. Let's like, I wouldn't be like, oh, um, you know, well, there were other people who were racist too, but they didn't want to say anything. Who cares? You did it. You did the racism. Take responsibility for yours and what you did and how you were going to move forward being a better person for your daughter. Like you said you were. Not about like what other people were doing, right? Don't, don't we all learn this in elementary school when um, you get caught for something and they're like, well, she did it too. And they're like, you know, that's not, it, it's not about she. It's about you. Focus on you. Since you're fo so focused on yourself, look in the mirror and say, I'm racist. Focus on that. Okay, I am done now. Let's move on to something I really want to talk about. Um, our can I get a hell yeah for this week is going to Kyle Richards dogs. Okay. They were absolute terrors. They were absolute agents of chaos in the last episode. If you didn't watch, they, one of them, Bambi, I believe took a whole steak, a whole steak right off of Lisa Rinna's plate. I mean, she wasn't going to eat it anyway, probably doing her favor, but just like incredible acting aggressively going for um someone's uh steak tartare and i just like you know just out on the golf course not that i care in the world just kyle screaming bambi bamb i can't do her voice but you know just, i love it i love kyle in a tizzy because her dogs won't behave i i really do i love her being embarrassed about all these rich people um because they don't know how to act like that's truly very funny to me i love when like something gets under Kyle's skin. <laughs> I think that's really what it is. And they're really doing the Lord's work for all of us who are sick of Kyle Richards. Oh, what a week for Beverly Hills. I know I haven't really talked about it, but I'm fully team crystal with this situation. Like they didn't get it. They definitely didn't understand what she was saying. And so I give them like 5% credit for that. But like, she's absolutely correct. Those women by those women, I mean Dorit, Lisa, Erica, Kyle, um, probably Teddy, but who cares? Um, don't have empathy for things that they can't understand. And they did the exact same thing with Garcelle. And they also deny feelings. So when Crystal's saying, um, you guys are all triggering me from last year because I use the word violated with regard to what Sutton did to me. And you were like, oh, that's too harsh of a word. Don't use it. You're basically denying my feelings and wanting to like course correct. But our feelings are our feelings and we're allowed to feel them. And it's not for anybody to say, oh, you don't feel that way or you should feel X or this is an incorrect word and you should use this word. Like that's policing people's feelings and they weren't getting what she was saying, but I was with her a hundred percent. And Kyle was lame as hell for like continuing to bring up what Sutton said. Like what Sutton said was unequivocally wrong and she needed to let it or she needed to correct herself and apologize. And she did. But why do you keep need needing to bring it up, Kyle? Like Sutton and Dorit made up. What's the deal? What's the deal? Why do you, maybe I just need to start recapping Beverly Hills. But we'll see. We'll see. Um, but what, like, what is her deal? 
she's she's lame as hell for that and like honestly it only made me like Sutton more and low key on the lowest of keys if anybody from Lady M is uh with us on this journey over here at the podcast I would really love a discount on one of those Sutton cakes because bitch I've never seen a fruitcake that looked that that good I oof. God bless. Anyway, um, let's move on to the actual show. More Housewives news with um, uh, Teresa versus Caroline part 1076. I don't know. This thing is very strange. Now, I'm in the battle versus Teresa and Caroline, an ardent Manzo Stanzo. Okay. I get what she's saying, but I'm also feeling like at this point, in this situation, I'm on Teresa's side. So uh, Caroline was on her Albie's podcast. She's got a podcast. I think I've said before. I, I haven't listened to it since, but Albie, your theme song is way too long. It's so boring and it does not want, it does not draw the audience in. Please, if you still have the same theme song or whatever intro as you did two years ago please change it it's god awful anyway um she was caroline was on this podcast and she said that basically she would get great pleasure out of knocking the shit out of Teresa verbally to put her in her place and then she says i'm tired of certain things i'm tired of her opening her very uneducated mouth and using me as a weapon to say that i was the one who spearheaded her irs claim and the stuff like that we're not those people um now this she said Teresa accused her back in 2019 so i'm very confused as to why she's bringing this situation up now and like I said, I'm with Teresa when she says, I think that Caroline just said that to bring, uh, you know, attention to Albie's podcast. She says she's promoting her son's podcast. So she talks about me because otherwise nobody's paying attention. And then she says that they did that Super Bowl commercial uh, back gosh, like two years ago or something. And she's like, you know, Caroline was hugging me in person, but on her podcast, you know, she wants to fight me and I'm with her. I'm with her. And just be like, I'm going to knock the shit out of you. Even verbally is like, what? For what? For what? And then Teresa says she didn't knock the shit out of me the entire time she was on the show. That's why I'm still here and she's not. <laughs> no. I mean, I'm, I'm going to have to give one point to Tree on that. Like, I'm not understanding the motivation of Caroline saying that. It just seems very random. Um, why we got to bring up bullshit? Like, yeah. It, here, here's the other thing is that nobody thinks that Caroline called the IRS on Teresa. You know, just like nobody thinks that, um, uh, that, uh, Meredith called the IRS on, called the feds on Jen Shaw over in Salt Lake City. Like, we know how this shit works. Nobody believes, I mean, and if anybody believes that Caroline did that, like, girl, like, get over it. Right? Because those people are stupid. <laughs> and that's what you should say. Like, those people who bring, still keep bringing this shit up are stupid. And it really does sound like she just wanted to bring attention to the podcast, which she did. So, I don't think it's going to help because, like I said, the one episode that I slogged through was like, oh, God, it was real work. But that's neither here nor there. Let's move on. Hooray, hooray, hooray. Josh, pervert of the world, Duggar, has officially been sentenced to 12 and a half years of his 20 year 
sentence for possessing images and videos of child sex abuse. Um, Not enough, in my opinion. I talked about this briefly on the Plathville uh, episode. I didn't mean to. It was just sort of uh, an impromptu thing because it just happened. But, I mean, I'm thrilled for the fact that his most of his seven children, at least, will be old enough to be out of the house by the time he comes back, slithering back. And, um, you know, it's not enough. And Jill, her his sister, and her husband said something that I thought was, like, pretty poignant. Jill's the one who's one of his victims. So really... Instead of stating my opinion, I'll just let her do it because she's the one in this situation, right? So they say the the last several weeks and months have been difficult emotionally. Yesterday was another one of those hard days. So you got 151 months. Um, Until now, Josh has yet to be held accountable to the extent necessary to cause change to his dangerous pattern of behavior. It's unfortunate, but it seems that many take spending over a decade, excuse me, it's unfortunate, but it seems that it may take spending over a decade in federal prison and still more on probation for Josh to have any potential for rehabilitation to the point where he can safely live in society again. And then they said that they hope that um, Josh can begin to get treatment and begin to work toward a lifestyle where he's less likely to reoffend and then they say we continue to love josh and his family and we'll be there for them however we can um uh, amy however the cousin who's broken free says hopefully tonight i can sleep for the first time ever and rest assured that another monster will be put behind bars my heart feels a little lighter where he's going the prisoners are going to take care of him and then she says yeah it's 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 just a, a wild wild situation i'm i'm thrilled that that man is not free i even read like um updates and you guys know that i read the statement in not not i don't know if they're impact letters but the the letters that his mom and his wife wrote to try and lessen his sentence about how like he's a good boy who volunteers at a soup kitchen occasionally and like is nice to people um i did read that the judge say that said he read those letters and that it did um impact the sentencing and i'm kind of wondering like in which that helped (laughs) because to me as like a judge i don't know how those really helped like how did he not see right through that like they were flimsy they were extremely flimsy and not reasons to uh keep a, a repeated sex offender and uh predator off the streets but okay he said it impacted him i'm I'm assuming in the good way because he got less than um they were going for so oh i'm so glad that this is going to be the last time i have to talk about him oh thrilled and probably the whole family unless somebody really breaks free which you know fingers crossed that might be the end of any dugger talk on this podcast and wow wow how exciting is that Okay, here's, this is something that I want to talk about because it's messy, but it's messy in a way that I don't know. (laughs) So I'm just going to report straight facts, right? Okay, y'all know the Chrisleys. I'm sure that at some point you've been subjected to watching them because uh, maybe one of your favorite Bravo shows ended and and their show began, or maybe you actively watch the Chrisleys. I'm going to admit right now, 
I watched um, the show maybe the first two or three seasons and I enjoyed it in that way that you enjoy a show that you watch. Like I, I always refer the, to them as like Saturday shows. Like if I happen to be inside on a Saturday and I'm doing chores or something, I don't have plans, bored, <laughs> then I'll watch these shows, right? So that was like a Saturday show. I, I hopped off that boat eons ago to be clear but um Todd the I was gonna say matriarch patriarch and his wife uh Julie are being sued like majorly they're currently um in court on charges for bank fraud and tax evasion so according to the indictment the prosecutors are alleging that Todd and Julie submitted fake documents to banks when applying for loans and that Julie also submitted false credit reports and bank statements when trying to rent a home in California. I also saw an article where Todd was saying that he wanted to be on the real housewives of Beverly Hills. Okay. Okay. He, he really has been um, purporting this lifestyle. Cause I don't know if you guys remember in the very beginning of Chris Lee knows best Todd was, had these dreams of opening up a department store like a kind of higher end department store like a Saks or Nordstrom or something like that um and he also purported himself to have like a boatload of money to be able to do something like this and clearly like they were living upper middle class Georgia which is not that hard okay just to be clear not they had money they're comfortable he purported himself to be a very wealthy man when the reality is that they are comfortable and clearly they're mostly comfortable now because they've been on the show for however many seasons at this point it was clear to me from jump because you know being from georgia i think they originally living in like tennessee briefly but then they moved down to atlanta and i know that the neighborhoods that they live in and the towns they live in and i know the makeup of it like the financial makeup of it and solidly middle class like maybe upper middle class but like again the cost of living in georgia is pretty good even now compared to uh you know other states and so you know you could be making 100k which i don't want to say is like nothing but you know what i mean like you could be living very well like 100k goes way farther in Georgia than it would in New York you know you know what I mean so I always knew in the very back of my mind like these people are living beyond their means and they're hoping that the show keep um is gonna keep them afloat and it did but not enough I guess so um like I said they're on trial it started this week and Todd's former business partner took the stand to claim a lot of things um he said that he and Todd were in a relationship in the early 2000s for about a year and that it ended basically when he had to pay off somebody who he now thinks might be Todd. So he says that, like I said, they were in the early 2000s intimate for about a year after the alleged affair ended. This man, um, Mark Braddock, said that the two men continued a friendship until 2012. So we're talking over a decade of friendship that he likened to a brotherhood. 
And then Mark goes on to say that during that time, he worked for Todd's foreclosure management company, which is called Chrisley Asset Management, and he testified that they began to receive anonymous text messages threatening to expose them for fraud and their alleged dalliance. Then Mark testified that one text read, pay cash and we'll shut up. Just random text that he's getting to his phone. So then Mark claims that he withdrew four payments of uh, $9,500, totaling $38,000 from his bank account. And then he gave it to Todd to pay off the blackmailer. Um, So Todd's attorney, whose name's Bruce Morris, says that Mark was obsessed with Todd and wanted to be with him. And that's basically like them poking a hole in the situation. Now, I'm I'm fully believing Mark. It it seems like it seems like a scheme that Todd set up to come to you with the bullshit. <laughs> and if you guys know that that quote then you're really you're in the right place, right? So I I mean these people seem like scammers from day 1 to me. I think they're going down in a very major way. Like did we not learn anything from Tree and Joe about falsifying bank statements, particularly when you're in the public eye? Like don't you think that's don't you feel stupid? <laughs> don't you feel silly? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like what where do we think this is going to go? I truly can't believe that people, reality TV stars do not see what happened with Tree and Joe and think Maybe not for me. That's really wild to me. So lock them up, I say. Lock them up. I think they've been scamming for quite a while, you know? And really, like, do I feel that mad about you screwing over the government? Not really. If I'm being honest. Like, you just wanted a baller house. (laughs) I mean, like, it's whack. But, like, it's kind of a victimless crime. It's just a house, right? It's not like widows and orphans. You know what I mean? It's not really the same thing, but, um, I would like to see them in jail. Like the, the thought of Todd being in jail, (laughs) Todd (laughs) Chrisley, God help us, God help us all. And I, I saw paparazzi photos of, of, uh, the, the other two, the, the son and the daughter, Savannah, the one who sounds like she's got cotton in her nose at all times. They they treat these people like actual celebrities. I think that I'm like, I, like I said, I haven't watched a show in years and I didn't really know that you could like get it popping as a, a USA reality TV star, but apparently you can. Apparently you can. Anyway, good luck to y'all. All right, before we get into recaps, I just wanted to talk about this um, drama that's happening on TikTok. If you guys aren't on TikTok or even like I barely even knew about these. Well, I didn't know about these people really, but once I found out the mess that was happening with these Mormon moms, ooh, 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 chills on my uh, goose pimples on my my forearms. Even now, talking about to talk about this, you know, one of the things that I really um, wanted to focus on, and I think I'm going to start focusing on more, is more like messy gossip because you know this podcast is called Everyone's Business But Mine for a reason, and you know. Obviously, pop culture and celebrity culture is good, but like I want to talk maybe more about influencer stuff and internet stuff. And so I'm going to kind of like pivot more into that direction a little bit. So here's our introduction into mom talk drama. Okay. I think even if you're not on TikTok, you're going to find this interesting. Um, So here's the deal. (laughs) These names, you guys, I mean, like, you could not have written them better. These were the names that I would have picked 
I can't believe these are people's actual names. I'm so excited. Okay. So from my understanding, from the exhaustive research that I've done, there is a faction of exactly what you would expect, like Mormon influencer, young moms called Mom Talk. They pretty much look all the same. They are, you know, they work out, they're young moms, they have these young kids named like Indy, Ocean, you know, they're, they do the same beach waves, they have the same balayage, like same um, skin tone, whether it's natural or not, like it's just very, you know, iced coffee, how do I do it all? Doing Pilates while the kids are running around, like that sort of vibe. The same thing that you see on Instagram, but in video form. So kind of the leader of the pack of mom talk is this lady named Taylor Frankie Paul. Okay. It's already starting. So Taylor's got over 3 million people on TikTok, 3 million followers. And a lot of her content is is very basic just like you know I'm with my kids or whatever or you know she's into fitness but she also does like very sarcastic jokey content because people will be like oh are you 50 so she'll make a video being like oh yeah I'm 50 and like pretend like her friends are her daughters right or oh we're pretending like we're all swingers we all hook up with each other I hook up with my girlfriends ha 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 lol right Everybody thinks she's being sarcastic this whole time because she is, you know, uh, in the Mormon religion. Like, you know, we know that they don't do shit like that, right? Wink. I'm winking, right? Um, so about a week ago, she starts posting content about being a single mother, moving out of her home, getting a divorce, blah, blah, blah. And people are like, oh, this kind of seems more like the same just sarcastic content, right? Wrong. Wrong, 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 wrong. <laughs> so she goes on and confirms, no, okay, I actually am getting a divorce from my husband, Tate. Taylor and Tate. Taylor and Tate. Okay. So Taylor goes on a TikTok live and busts it wide open. She's saying that the reason she's going to get divorced and that she wasn't going to say the reasons why, but some people have opened their mouths and she feels like she's got to get the head of the story and reveals that she and her husband and uh, many people in their circle were actually a group of swingers, soft swingers in her terms. So their rules were, um, these are people, you know, in our same demographic, same age. Some of these people work with Tate um, in a non-influencer, like, you know, quote unquote, real job space offline. And um, they would get drunk. Again, another no-no. Have these parties, go off to cabins or go off to somebody's house and they'd all hook up with each other. Now, the term soft swinger, I guess, is, you know, pretty general. It's really up to you. But to her, it means you can do everything but um, the guys, well, she said her husband was straight. She didn't say all the guys were straight. But um, the basically, the you have to be, or at least her rules with Tate, right, were 
nothing behind closed doors. If you hook up with somebody, as long as I'm seeing it, we're good. She says that things took a left. They got drunk or she got a little too drunk one night and she ended up hooking up with another person's husband away from the group. I guess like everything they did, they did together. Everybody was supposed to be in the same room or whatever, but she went off with this dude and got, well, I don't know. She didn't say she got caught. She said she admitted to it, but apparently that night everything went down. People were admitting to having feelings for other people's partners. Um, Her husband was pissed off because she broke the rule and other, there's another couple, like there's just, it just turns into a whole melee. So her husband was like, fuck you and fuck everybody else. So he's dropped her, got a divorce or they're divorcing. And he also wants nothing to do with uh, the other members of the group. And, she also reveals that there is another couple from this group who's getting divorced basically for the same reason, cheating, catching feelings, etc. So she keeps dropping hints that like, y'all know who these people are. We were very close neighbors. You know, I can't say anything because if I say anything, I have to mention it all. And like, I'm going to bring all these people down with me if I like tell the whole story. But she claims to have receipts for everything and basically is like low key, like, okay, I got my artillery. So if anybody else out there who might feel like they want to say something, just let me know. I got the hammer, right? So um, a lot of people were doing their Googles because like I said, she's part of this very popular group of women, right? This part really cracked me up because... <laughs> I guess there were people who had like gone to Reddit as they do and had, you know, done their research and came to the conclusion that they thought it was one particular couple, but she goes on the live and this really cracked me up. She's like, you know, I just want to address the fact that, um, it's not this one couple because basically she's like, they're too dramatic and we didn't want them in the group anyway. So don't worry about that. We didn't fuck with them anyway, so there's no possible way that they could be the the culprits because we don't like them, okay? Um, So that was, like, one revelation that, like, everybody in Mom Talk weren't exactly friends as they purported themselves to be. Um, There are some people in Mom Talk who are pissed because she is highly suggesting that that group was the group who uh, was swinging with each other. A couple of them are saying definitely didn't happen. A couple of them are keeping quiet and blocking their account or, you know, making their accounts go private or really just going off the grid entirely. So people really figured it out that Taylor hooked up with a man named Brayden, who was married to a woman named McKenna. So Taylor cheated on her husband, Tate with a guy named Brayden. And now Brayden's wife, McKenna wants a divorce. I didn't even know there were people that old, like in, my age range that were named Brayden and McKenna. Like it's shocking to me. Um, so more on that, if I hear any updates, trust you will get them because I want to hear, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. What I think it makes it interesting for me is that it's not, it's a get around the getting around of like dating and like dating culture and having sex it is quote unquote normal, 
you know, in our society, in American culture, for you to date people before you marry them. But then there are these pockets of religious sectors in the country that do this like intentional dating, courting for marriage only situations. But you see these new rounds of um, Mormons are working around that by being swingers. I saw several people who'd say like, it is an open thing. I mean, there were a lot of people said that this is all shameful. This doesn't happen in their Mormon culture. But there were also a lot of people said swinging is very much a common theme in Mormon society and culture. And this is like no shade. Obviously, I don't sex shame them. But it's no surprise when you're like, oh, let's get married at 21 because our hormones or whatever and everything feels right and then you want to go out there and explore and you think oh this will be a good idea because they're all married they're all on the same page and we'll do it but no because you guys are all horny people in your 20s who should have just been dating people rather than getting married and having kids in the first place (laughs) going out there and exploring and now you don't have any friends because you fuck them <laughs> and you fuck yourself over. You know, and this all could have been avoided if we stopped these cultures of purity and like you can only be with one partner. That's that's it, you know? She should have to go through all the things that we did. Like, you know, I I was also in groups where like it was like a little bit incestuous. This also like happens on Vanderpump rules, but you know, the stakes are a lot less h- higher when you're don't have a ring on your finger and children in your home, you know, who are going to be inf- affected by the fact that, uh, you know, mommy sucked off Brayden and <laughs> that was vulgar. I have to, <laughs> that was, that was really vulgar. I, and I'm sorry, but I mean, it's true. Like now they're going to know that like your whole shit, your whole family blew up because you know, And it's not even slut shaming. Like she was just doing what was natural and things went a little too far. But, you know, it's like how many people can say that they their parents got a divorce because, uh, uh, you know, mommy took a little too far with our neighbor. (laughs) You know, there are going to be a lot of kids who are going to be able to say that. And they're all kids who have really stupid names on top of it. Really think about that. Anyway, um, the rest of the episode is going to be recaps of Kardashians and Real World Homecoming New Orleans. Enjoy if you're going to listen. If not, if you're able to give me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, I would be greatly, greatly appreciative. See you guys later this week. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank me for speaking. Love you. Bye. And then, um, but he said something and um, he told us, to um to both of you well he told me that the thing that would help it was drinking his cum like four times a week Mm -hmm. (laughs) all right you guys let's get into some balenciaga and talk about kardashians on hulu this episode was like "Mm." a real meh for me so let's get into this really quickly because i don't know i said i was ranting and raving last week about how i don't like these antics okay and now that we officially know that this was a post World thing um seeing kylie and chris like go around being like oh let's just do normal things like oh so whack 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 meter um 
Uh, Kylie's excuse for wanting to do normal things is that she's pregnant. I don't know. Chris says that she had not been to the grocery store in two years. And the reason why she doesn't like to go is because people get all up in her face and then the paparazzi come. And that's pretty much exactly what happened. They go to a grocery store and they barely get past the fruit section before you can see somebody walking across the camera with a phone in their hand, like a blurred out man, just recording them with no, like, need to be discreet whatsoever <laughs> it's wild and I don't know if you guys saw this if you see them when they go into the parking lot when they're done there's somebody like two rows down in the uh parking lot that's also <laughs> camera trying to record them so I get that but like let's talk more about that and not see you guys doing these wacky activities and acting like like you don't know how to pump gas Chris like come on come on it's just lame. It's just so lame. Um, they go through the car wash at a shell station and Kylie calls the car wash a tourist attraction. Baby. Like, like what? You know, it was like 10 minutes of the episode. What? Why? For what? Anyway. Um, Courtney and Travis decide to go on something called a Pancha Karma cleanse, which is an Ayurvedic practice that's supposed to get all the toxins out that are deep in their tissues so that she can have healthier eggs because... Their egg retrieval hasn't been getting to a viable stage at this point. So as part of this cleanse, they have to abstain from sex, caffeine, and exercise. And they have this lady named Martha come over. It is very clear to me that Travis does not want to do this shit, but he's so in that love bubble that he's like, you know what? I'm going to do everything on that push website blog uh, and just like make my baby happy. Right? So... Martha comes over and Travis is like, um, can you just explain to me why it is that we can't have sex? That voice. And she says that you can't do any movement. So he's like, he's anxious, right? Travis, you know, he's a drummer. Most of these drummers have ADHD. They're just like very hyperactive. Travis is one of those people. And he's like, I can't have caffeine. I can't work out. I can't do anything. What's the deal? So she says that, Basically, any more, any sort of uh, strenuous activity, you know, jumpstarts your metabolism, of course, right? So they do this pre-cleanse, which is whatever the hell, to get the toxins all into one concerted place. And then you're supposed to take castor oil to uh, eliminate the toxins from your body. So then... Martha's asking Courtney different things like, how does your neck feel? Do you have tightness in your shoulders? Whatever. And when she asks Courtney what her thyroid levels are like, she says, you know, I'm not sure. I don't know if they're low or high, but the doctor said that to um, get it balanced that I should uh, drink Travis's cum four times a week. And Martha says, okay. <laughs> If Martha, the Ayurvedic healer, um, thinks that is wild, when later we see her um, telling Courtney to spank her feet with the palms of her hands to get the toxins out, you know, I think that's saying something. I think that's saying something. Travis is like, oh, I, th- I think that's a great idea. This is the greatest idea of my life. What What is it with Travis's voice? It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. 
feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's really wild. So after this pre-cleanse, no updates on whether or not she, she went to the, the uh, Barker diet for her cleanse, but or for her thyroid, rather. But, um... Then they have to go for seven days to Martha's place to spend four hours a day doing these cleanses. So like I said, she's doing the yoni massage um, where you steam up your puss and they're wrapping up bolts of leather fabric around Travis's, excuse me, head to dunk oil on it because he's bald and I guess, you know, the hair won't keep the oil. It's a whole thing. Travis looked so stupid. <laughs> he looks so stupid. Oh, poor guy. Poor guy. Um, then we have Kim and Tracy. They're going to a storage space to figure out Kim's new style inspiration. And I know that I gave Kim a lot too much, too much credit last time about how, like, I understood the emotional, um, implications around like losing Kanye and you know what that meant for her style and blah 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 but I only want to hear a little bit of it like we get it girl we we got it like I get that he was running shit and I get from a psychological standpoint that is like a big transition but like we get it just just wear the clothes girl you'll figure it out you'll figure it out she goes into the space where she says that she has over 30,000 pieces of clothing it is look literally looks like they took over an office space and we're just like chuck some clothes in here because it wasn't really like a warehouse that i would have expected i would have expected like a full warehouse style thing but they're just like this really just looks like an old office that they were just like put some racks of clothes of balenciaga in here like who cares we'll figure it out later um so many pieces they're on racks they're in plastic bins they're just everywhere Kim refers to Kanye as a crutch in terms of guiding her through fashion. But now she doesn't have that crutch anymore. But I did think one interesting thing is that Tracy asked Kim, um, what did you do with the stuff that Kanye took out of your closet when he did that famous, like cleaning out your closet thing? She said she kept everything. She kept that whole shit this whole time. Everybody's been so concerned about that moment. And she, she kept all of it good for her um then tracy makes her do some sort of like rain man trick where she's like you know i if i told you if i threw out a makeup look or an event that you went to you would tell me exactly what your hair was like what you wore what the mood was and she could she absolutely could I don't, is that that impressive i probably wouldn't remember um you know what bit of old navy uh combination that i wore to a particular event but you know i'm also not going to the emmys am i 
the best part of the episode, hands down. So Kim gets uh, invited by Balenciaga to do this photo shoot. And she's really excited because she's talking about how this is like her first time on her own. She's like, I've been doing contracts with law school. This will be my first contract that I go over myself. And she's just really excited, right? So they come to her house and they do the photo shoot. And Chris comes over to like monitor things and also check in. And she's like, oh my gosh. Um, you know, that Kendall was being considered for the cover of US Vogue, right? She's like, yeah, that's like really cool. And Chris is like, well, I have good news and bad news. She's like, well, the bad news is that Vogue called back and said that they didn't think that um, she would be the right fit for the cover. And Kim's like, well, what's the good news? She's like, uh, they think you should be on the cover. <laughs> now, to my knowledge, Kendall has not been on the cover of American Vogue. Um, let me just check. Has she? Oh, I guess she has. No, I don't think she has. No, maybe she has. Okay. Um, sorry, I take that back. But the point of it is that it's very funny. Okay, yeah, I take it back, Kendall. Sorry, you have done two American Vogue covers. But the point, like I said, the point is that like she's now got bumped off, and I I thought that shit was hilarious, and especially for her sister. So, <laughs> so um, Kim is super excited. And she's like talking, she's having this moment about how this is like the biggest deal for her because, you know, the Anna Wintour wasn't fucking with her, didn't want her at the Met. Kanye's the one who had to advocate for her. They got the cover of Vogue. And so this is really her like first post Kanye American Vogue cover. And, you know, they're asking for her advice. She got to use her own hair and makeup, which is a very big deal. Um, usually they don't allow you to do that stuff. Like it's all people that they picked. Um. So she's just like reveling in the fact that this is like, you know, like a big moment, right? So <laughs> then, like, she's so excited. But then it finally kicks, clicks to her that Kendall might not feel great about this. And Chris reveals that like, uh, Kendall's agent was like, okay, um, which was one of us is going to tell Kendall <laughs> about this? And Kim's like, I feel so bad. <laughs> she did not give a fuck <laughs> she was so excited for herself she did not give one fuck about Kendall and I loved it I loved it and that's proven because right after they do an interview with the producer and the producer asks him how the Kim of 15 years ago would have handled being in competition for a Vogue cover with her sister and without any hesitation Kim's like oh I would have killed her I was so desperate back then I probably would have murdered, murdered Kendall myself if it was between the two of us. Like, uh, And then she does a smile that is like, I'm dead ass. <laughs> it was for sure the most evil smile I've seen Kim put on her face. She was like, I am not kidding. I would have murdered her. No cap. <laughs> and it really, really cracked me up. <laughs> my favorite Kim is the Kim who reveals how horrible she really is on the inside. And that's just my truth. It really, really is funny to me. Um, so finally, she Chris ends up having a conversation with Kendall, or she tries to, but Kendall's like, oh, my agent, who's also named Chris, already told me. And Chris is like, oh, thank God. Um, 
And she's like, you know, it's actually all good. Like, I'm super happy for for Kim. Like, no big deal to me. And then Chris is like, okay, great. Well, why don't you think about having a baby? I'm going to call the doctor right now to see what you should do about having a baby. And she's like, uh, first of all, I'm like 24. (laughs) Secondly, model. Thirdly, um, chill out. But she actually gets this lady on the horn. And Kendall's like, don't call this doctor right now. And Chris is like, she'll she'll take my call. It's fine. And you know what? She did. That lady answered the phone. It's like, hey, Chris, how you doing? So she like basically forces uh, Kendall into getting her eggs frozen because I mean, the truth is the younger you are, the healthier they're going to be. Right. But chill, chill. Uh, Later in the episode, Chloe moves into her new house with True and she says in a voiceover as they're going through the house that that man who gave her True will also be moving in. And I'm just wondering how many days was it between her moving in and her finding out about that man's new baby? Because I'm thinking like, we got to be down to the wire here at this point, down to the wire. Okay. I just took a pause to do a little bit of research and it looks like, okay, Asher World happened in on Chris's birthday, which is November 5th. Chris, according to articles, moved into her house, which is next door to Chloe's, because they were supposed to be moving in around the same time, um, five days later. So she, Chris moved into the house November 10th. Um, the situation, the baby um, situation happened in December. So I found an article and talks about how um, Chloe was supposed to move into the house, but she never actually officially moved in because of the Tristan news. And it says that uh, Chloe banned Tristan from moving into her house after he fathered the child, but she's even taking an even further step back. So apparently after she found out about Tristan, um, she started to redo things, um, tearing up old plans that she did with Tristan because she can't face being big in this big, huge mansion all by herself. This was, was supposed to be a family home. They were supposed to have baby number two by now. And instead he has baby number three with a stranger and she's all alone. So she delayed basically to moving into that house, even though it was move in ready, um, to like change up plans to erase Tristan. Then it says the only reason she's still moving in is because it's next door to Chris and she can't just sell it to somebody else. And that Chloe's specifically redoing parts of the home that were planned for she and Tristan's life together. There was a man cave for Tristan in the house and that's gone. She can't even think of what to do with the space now. Girl, (laughs) figure it out. I I don't know. (laughs) Um, Then he had a house that was in escrow in Encino that he was supposed to move into, but he took it out of escrow because... He needed a place to live. So there's that. They didn't even, I don't even think in the preview for next episode, they bring up Tristan and the drama. So, it, I mean, again, th- we're now like three weeks to, hit, to her finding this out and like a month out from the baby being born. So I just can't wait. I think that really must be what, what keeps me hanging on. Um, the other thing that was really important to me is that, there was no addressing of this, but Corey was wasted. Corey was walking around that house in a two-piece silk pajama set and, and a champagne salute in his hand, dancing with True, aimlessly, just wandering around the house. That man was wasted. The man was wasted. Another gripe that I have is that every time, 
And I've noticed this every time Chloe, and it's always just Chloe, every time Chloe moves into a new house, there are all these overtures about how great it is for Chloe to do that. She did this all on her own and clap, clap, clap for Chloe. They did this with the last house that they claimed was the first house that she ever bought for herself. But I think they mean like just the first house that she built from the ground up. And they're acting like she's fucking like from homeless to Harvard or something. Like Chris, you, she makes more, she's worth more money than you. Why are we acting like this is like the greatest achievement of all time? These people buy houses just for fun. I I just don't understand why they make such a big deal about Chloe buying a house, but whatever. Um, the final episode or the final uh scene is Kim. She does a photo shoot, the the photo shoot for Vogue, and she's like, you know, this is totally me. I'm so excited. They're asking her opinion on looks, and I mean, to me, it was just like one body contrast after the other. But you know, that's what I like to see out of Kim. Like, give us, I, I like to see a little ho shit, okay? And that's just my truth. Um, everybody hangs out afterwards because Kim says she's been so busy that she hasn't been able to see. So everybody's catching up. Uh, Kravis are there and they're talking about their cleanse and how they can't have any type of orgasm. And Courtney's sure to let us know that she made sure to ask the doctor if, if like they can involve hands, mouths, feet. Now, I don't understand like what it is about Courtney that she doesn't understand no coming is no coming because this is something that she's asked a doctor just a couple episodes before. Um, oh no, I'm sorry. They were getting a sperm sample for Travis and the doctor was like, okay, we can't have any other like material <laughs> mixing up with the semen, right? It just has to be straight semen. Um, can I do mouth stuff? No. Can I help him? No. Hand stuff? No, Courtney. Feet stuff? No, Courtney. <laughs> like, what are we understanding? He says he can't come. Why do you think that you doing with your feet is going to make a difference? It's the come that's the issue. Okay? That's... <sighs> I can't keep talking about come with these people. So, <laughs> anyway um what what else happened oh okay so chris actually slides her phone over to kim and was like hey i got this text and kim looks down at the phone and is like yeah i got that text too so she tells everybody that kanye she got a text that said that kanye was going to be coming out with a song about her not wasn't gonna be positive i'm thinking this is a song that i didn't listen to it the song that he did the video with pete's head in it um that pete's like dead skull in it or whatever um but then this evolves into this conversation about kanye and kim says something like she feels like she's never had the conversation with her family about how much kanye has impacted them and made their lives worse basically um and how sorry she is about that and how she's never gonna let a partner do that um again which i thought was like pretty interesting um they didn't say anything really which was probably smart but they you know it was just like you know how long are we gonna let him do this and and it's not fair to you and you have intentionally not said anything and chris brings up the very you know standard but 
poignant point, which is eventually North St. Psalm and Chicago are going to see all this shit. They're going to see the music videos. They're going to see, um, all this wild behavior and it's not going to be good. Like, especially in their case, it's not going to be pretty. And they really need to think about that. And thank God, at least Kim is thinking about it. Because <laughs> Connie certainly doesn't seem to be. So yeah, um, then everybody leaves and Chloe and Courtney and Travis have this conversation because Chloe told Courtney the episode before, a girl, you need to get your uh, baby daddy Scott in line because we're having to deal with the impact and here you are sitting around trying to figure out how to uh, get your new man off and meanwhile we're like we're having to fight battles with Scott so Courtney was like well I had the conversation no she didn't <laughs> no you didn't she said she introduced the fact to, to Scott that they need to have a conversation because she didn't want to bring it up unless it came up she wanted Scott to bring it up organically and so they were on a call, something to do with rain. And then Scott said, um, so am I not going to be invited to family dinners or something along those lines? And so Courtney was like, okay, do you want to have a talk? And he was like, yeah, I absolutely do. And that, that was the crux of their big conversation that they're going to have one in the future. Who's to say if this actually happens, but I, if I had to guess, I'm going to say it didn't, but anyway, let's move on to real world New Orleans. Jake, there's just a whole world to him. There's a lot to him. When I get him alone, we can just play and we can just have fun together. I don't ever feel judged with him. All right, you guys, we have to talk about the real world homecoming New Orleans. Just, you know, six episodes of absolute bangers so if you remember last week we left off with um matt and his conversation with production where they're asking him whether his feelings about the lgbt plus community has changed since he was very clear in the beginning that he felt like it was a sin so Danny and Matt are having a conversation and Danny calls Matt out and says that he was incredibly hurt and it was hurtful to be called out for his sexuality back then. And basically Matt just went off and lived his life and how fucked up that was. Melissa says in a confessional that she thinks that Matt is a good person who's conflicted by his value system, but he also could really easily disavow the homophobic feelings if it hurts somebody, you know? So Matt starts off with an apology and he says that he's sorry to Danny and that he was just trying to be consistent with his beliefs. But then he says that what was so hard for him is that he feels a conflict inside of himself because God created each of us. And then he says, for me, I'll never understand how God created you. And it breaks my heart and I'm trying to smile but we were created different and that's a hard thing. Like I can't understand it. Uh, wow. <laughs> wow. How Danny must've felt to have somebody be like, I don't understand why God created you. <laughs> that's like one of the most fucked up things I've ever heard. <laughs> 
Danny in a confessional says that he's really shocked that it seems like Matt has changed the least over all of these years and that he's really sticking to his guns about this. And then Danny brings up a point that I tried to touch on last week, which is that, you know, he uses a term called spiritual bypassing, which is that you love the person, but you hate the sin. And you feel like that person just needs to fix that part of themselves. And Danny says that his family still feels that way. And the most of the world does. And that it's like his own personal don't ask, don't tell policy within his own family. So then Matt says that he was writhing inside because he doesn't know what to do because he's tried to be a loving friend and to, to Danny and that, you know, he wants to do what it, he can to make it right, but he doesn't know if that's a possibility. And then he says, I'm a very broken man right now. And I want to acknowledge that I'm very sorry. So at this point, I feel, you know, I do feel an ounce of empathy for people like Matt who are just so deeply indoctrinated that they just don't get it. Like, there are people who are like your your Tommy Larens, your um, uh, Candace Owens. I'm trying to think of people who I've blocked on Twitter. Like, who know what they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing. They know that this is wrong. And they do it anyway. They're just loud and wrong and ignorant and weird because all they really want is attention. Whereas I think Matt just genuinely is, he's not hopeless. And he definitely owes a responsibility, not only to himself, but like his family to be better than this. But also I think he just like, doesn't get it. Like he's almost there, but he just can't like there's something that's just not connecting. And for that, I feel an ounce of empathy for him. But the other hand, part of that is that there are the Dannys of the world who have to deal with him being like sweetly, I just want to love everybody, but I can't, I don't know how to do it. And like, that's also incredibly, like, probably more dangerous than just being like outwardly ignorant and stupid. Tokyo tries to attempt to get Danny to see that Matt is trying despite his personal convictions, but Danny is over it. And he very calmly, I thought, explains that what Matt is trying to do is just a drop in the bucket. And he's basically heard all of this stuff a million times before. And he thinks that what might be happening with Matt is an awakening within himself, but it's also not his responsibility to take that weight off of Matt. So Danny ends, well, he starts to end the conversation by telling everybody that the lesson that could be learned from this is that groupthink is the most dangerous thing in the world. And then he says that he feels like Matt is like, just did what he's trying to do, or he's trying to do a good thing. And that's why groupthink is so dangerous. I honestly, truly applaud Danny for doing this because he didn't have to. And I also think that this is something that we all need to learn and watch from, like, even, you know, allies and, and well-meaning people, and I'm putting both of those terms in quotes, still have a tendency to expect the victim, in this case, Danny, to take the weight off of Matt to say, you know, it's okay that you're fucked up and that you have these fucked up beliefs. And it's not. Matt and Danny actually hug. And then Matt says, he's sorry. And Danny says, you don't need to be sorry. And then Matt's like, well, I don't like this. And Danny's like, well, what you don't like is the discomfort, right? <laughs> Right. And then we see Matt and Danny cleaning up and Matt says, um, so Danny, do you have any grace coming my way? And at that point I would have lost it. Like I would have been so infuriated to ask 
or to have somebody who told me that they don't understand why God created me to ask if I can extend grace to him. (laughs) It's mental illness, love. Like, it would never be me. I mean, Danny didn't say anything, but like, honestly, I would have popped the fuck off. (laughs) I would have lost it if somebody said that to me. So then Matt and Julie have a conversation and Julie breaks it down for Matt in a way where it's like coming from a place who also comes from a repressive conservative religious background. And she says, I understood what was happening. Like I've had these conversations with Danny over the years and Matt, I understand where you're coming from. But in this moment, this was like the first time where I understood what Danny's perspective was. And it just said, he doesn't need an apology from you, Matt. He needs you to change. And so Matt keeps harping on the fact that it's important for him to apologize and we shouldn't uh, shy away from apologizing. But Julie keeps trying to be like, yeah, but Danny keeps telling you that he doesn't need your apology. You know, and I've been in those situations where some guy (laughs) is like, you know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And it's like, oh yeah, but like your sorries don't mean shit because you keep doing it. So you're not sorry. (laughs) That's why I don't want to hear the sorry. You feel me? (laughs) So at this point, Matt has completely lost the plot and he goes on to talk about how, you know, usually when there's healing that needs to happen between two people, it's done privately, but there's no privacy in this house. And it's like, yeah, dummy, like that's why you're getting paid and that's why you have a mic on and all these studio lights and, you know, gaffers or whatever you're on a show. These are you forcing to have these conversations and Danny or Matt rather, if you really wanted to have some private healing with your friend, you had, I don't know, 22 years to do it and you didn't. So that's on you. Then we hear him have a conversation with a producer about how like, this isn't what the Matt I'm talking about about how this isn't what he wanted. And this isn't the direction that he wanted the show to go in, which is basically that they're being ruthless against the church kid. And it's like, again, this is exactly why Danny doesn't want your apology because now you're going around to the producer talking about how you've been ganged up on. Right. And how they're being ruthless to him and how uh, every moment this has been a struggle with his faith because uh they went to a gay bar and he didn't go or they did a tarot reading and he didn't participate or julie talked about her sexuality and he wanted to just die and it's like okay again you know what the real world is because you were on it (laughs) you know that the concept of the show is to bring people from uh different backgrounds and you're supposed to challenge each other and try to come to a common place like that's the rub dude so i don't know what he was expecting but it obviously isn't going in his way but like obviously like fuck him i don't really give a shit then later i mean julie is just being weird (laughs) but in a different way than he she has been from the other episodes and we're still on the jamie thing and then she focuses her direction towards Matt, which was very weird and desperate and try hard. So basically she was talking about Matt. Matt had a website back in the day and I guess he kind of used it as a personal dating profile. He would give it to girls that he saw and they would sign his guest book, like all very, you know, uh, I don't know, like whatever, you know what I mean? <laughs> first first generation websites right so um 
then she says that they had a conversation in a car where he was talking about this website and she made some comment and he was like, oh, back off or something like that. And how put off she was by him saying that. But like, to me, it really wasn't that aggressive and nobody really seemed to understand what Julie was trying to get to. But the point of this is that Julie has a crush or had a crush on Matt back in the day. And she asks him in real time okay if it wasn't for your religious um you know hang-ups or whatever do what do you think it would have been like if we had dated and it's like (laughs) how is he supposed to answer that question i don't know (laughs) like what kind of how are you supposed to answer that matt says in a confessional that he feels like julie thinks that her mormonism was a realized reason why they didn't connect but the truth is Even if he wasn't religious, he really wasn't interested in anybody in the house. But then he tells Julie that a relationship on the show just would have been too overwhelming for him. So he just didn't look at it as as an option. But then she's like, oh, well, what about when you went to the club with Melissa and you met that black girl? And it's like, why did you have to mention she was black? But whatever. You met that black girl and you liked her. So, you know, how can you say that you didn't want to have a relationship on the show when you what showed interest in a single person? And so Matt was like, well, she didn't live in the house. So if I had gone for that, it would have been different. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> um, Kelly gets up from this conversation. Matt also gets up from the conversation. And she says, you know, I just don't like the energy that Julie's giving off. Like, why are we bringing up all these conversations? Why am I having to explain who I may or may not have hooked up with 22 years ago? Like, what's the point? I have to admit that Kelly seems like really put off by Julie. And I don't blame her for that, but she's also not explaining her specific reasons for that. Um, So it's confusing as to why she's so feeling this way. It's almost giving that she doesn't want to talk about Peter, the guy that she dated when she was on the show. But like, you're going to have to girl. Cause she keeps talking about how, well, gosh, I hope the couples had spoke you know, the people who were married spoke to their partners about, um, these conversations. I guess I just don't understand what she's so scared about. Like, Scott, tell her everything's going to be okay. Like, I don't understand what the what the stakes are here. Because really, like, yeah, if, it, if you feel like it doesn't matter who you hooked up with 20 years ago, then just talk about it. Like (laughs) if there's no risk in talking about it now, then what's the big deal? I don't know. Again, I'm not married. Maybe I'm just not understanding this. So she, Julie, no, Kelly rather tells Matt that she's thinking about like the door, the door being open and her walking right on that, out that door and going back to Vancouver. Again, I'm just not understanding. We also see more of like Kelly's life back in Vancouver with her literal party of five with Scott Wolf. She's got three kids and how lovely he is and how much love there is. And she does talk about how she misses her kids and stuff. And I get that. Um, But also like, it's only two weeks, girl. (laughs) Calm down. (laughs) Anyway. um, So the big thing, the big person who comes to the house this week is Spencer, Julie's husband. She says Spencer doesn't really know much about her time on the real world because he just watched the show a couple weeks before she entered the house. But He definitely knows every dirty detail about whatever the hell went on between she and Jamie back in the day. And that 
he's not intimidated by really any of her sexual past except for Jamie because he was such an awakening for her. And so he's a little bit intimidated by that. So she's showing him around the house, introducing him to people. Then they get this like incoming message, which is their like prompt for the episode. All of it is about Julie and her journey through her religion, coming into the house, navigating things. And, um, you know, she talks about her walk with Mormonism and where it stands today. And she basically says that when she left the house, she kind of felt like everybody was like waiting for her to leave the church because of the show. And that made her lean harder into the church. So after the show, she got like even more religious. She started doing these things called institution I think, or the Institute where the, in the Mormon church, you do these like marriage prep classes. And that's where she met Spencer. She keeps calling them like, like the bad people or the rebels or something. Basically what she was saying is that, you know, people in her culture marry in their late teens, early twenties. She was 24. He was 27 at the time. And so, you know, they were getting to be a little bit of an old maid situation and, It kind of seems to be, like, the reason why they got married. (laughs) She acts like this. it's this, like, great love story, but it seems more like a marriage of convenience than anything. But um, she then says that when you're 30, you get kicked out of the Institute, and you're basically just, like, the land of misfit Mormons to, like, never marry or whatever. (laughs) But she also says that she and uh, Spencer were having a, like, crisis of faith and ended up leaving the merit or the Mormon church in 2008. And she says, you know, some people go into Mormonism or are Mormon and they kind of pick and choose what tenets of the faith that they belong or what they believe in. Like, you know, if they are not homophobic, then they take that part out or they're not racist. They take that part out. But basically being Mormon is an all encompassing thing and it's all or nothing. And that's why they left. Then she says that they haven't gone public about this. And it's kind of a Heather Gay from Salt Lake situation where um, publicly saying that they have left the church is a really big deal. It could affect their other actively Mormon family members. They could get excommunicated from the church. And they're in the outer darkness, which Heather taught us is like the worst of the worst. It's the sin of the Mormon church is to publicly denounce it. And so now they're basically in that spot with Heather and Whitney probably um doesn't seem really that bad (laughs) doesn't seem like a bad place to me um so Kelly kind of is is a little bit freaked out she's like I don't think that uh that Julie has really thought about the implications of what this means like how it could affect her family that's a little scary for me but planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Say la vie, right? And Julie says that really what was the catalyst for her having this big religious awakening is that she got pregnant and she knew that she was going to have a daughter and was like, I cannot raise my daughter the way I was raised and I got to figure something out now. So I, I commend her for recognizing issues in the way she was brought up and not wanting to continue that. I got to give her half a clap for that one. Kelly and Matt later have a conversation about religion because she says, I want to ask you questions, but I like, I wasn't brought up in a religious background. I genuinely don't know. So I have some questions before we have the conversation because I'm looking for some clarity. So she asks him, how he's feeling or how the church feels about the LGBT community, which I know that I've read several headlines. So I'm a little bit confused as to why he says that, you know, when you're religious, you're expected to have every answer to every question that people have. And I don't have all the answers, which is like, okay, but I feel like, like I said, the Pope has said several things about the community that are uh, a lot more open. So I don't know why he's acting like he just has no idea. And it's also like those that can be true that people expect you to know everything about the religion that you're attached to, but also like she's not asking you some great moral philosophical philosophical situation. She's just asking like, is it possible for the church to change their stance on uh, LGBTQ plus people? That's it. It wasn't that deep. Um, So he just says that he doesn't know, but what he does know is that it's like sex is for two things. It's to bring the two couples close or a couple closer together and procreation. Then he says that one of his great quandaries or qualms rather is that he would see Danny with Paul in the house. And basically they, to him had all the makings of what he knew to be a very good relationship, except their sex doesn't foster any sort of procreation. So, um, you know, he says that, it was a struggle for him because everything was good about Danny and Paul, except for that part. Um, so after that, Julie continues to try to make things weird between Spencer and Jamie. Jamie's walking around like, girl, I don't know what's happening. You know, (laughs) I was like, I don't have an issue. He met Spencer. He was fine. I don't know what the drama is. If there is any, I'm chilling. Jamie's like living his best life. And honestly, I think he's been drunk most of this time. So Julie tries to get Jamie to get into the hot tub with she and her husband. And he's like, no, (laughs) I'm good. But then after he goes back inside, Spencer and Julie go and make a fort outside. And Melissa says in a confessional, I don't know what they're doing, but I do know they're way too loud. And it's, laid out um 
So then they go, and it seems like they're having sex. Because she said, or trying to. Julie, it seems like Julie is trying to have sex with Spencer on camera. And Spencer's like, politely like, no, heart emoji. She's like, oh, let me just go under the covers. He's like, no. <laughs> it's very weird. She keeps talking about how she misses him and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I, I get it, I guess. But like, do you need sex that badly? Like, it's been a week of two weeks. A very two week trip. Like, you'll be all right, girl. You don't need to be fucking outside of the kitchen. Later, Melissa, Kelly, and Danny go on a picnic. And apparently Danny and Kelly have kept up all this time. He's like a sister, or she's like a sister to him, blah, blah, blah. She's saying that she's having a real crisis and wants to leave. But Danny's like, girl, you're not leaving. Okay, there's nothing that's going on in this house that um, we can't deal with for a couple weeks so that's that girl <laughs> after that man matt and danny go for a walk and you know matt's talking about or excuse me danny is talking about how they have a commonality and that they're both from similar towns and or close by towns in georgia and so they always kind of have that bond of you know the culture and what it's like to have been brought up there and um Matt's like, oh, I heard that you uh, helped rebuild a church. And so Danny says, yeah, that he uh, heard that this church is a progressive church called the Virginia Highland Church in Atlanta um, was like dealing with structural damages with the church. So he shortly after the show sold all of this memorabilia, including the, the infamous gray turtleneck sweater and raise a bunch of money to rebuild the roof. And then, um, you know, Matt's like trying to talk to him and he's like, you know, I know that you might have like six or eight gripes with my religion, but I've got maybe 10 or 12 and, um, and that he is trying to validate how Danny feels because he knows that the words that he told him hurts it, him and he takes ownership for it. Danny's like, you know, I appreciate that. Um, I do genuinely hear your apology. I'm not trying to reject it, but, you know, like I know that you're struggling. And then he says, I struggle with my own parents because they love me conditionally. And basically they don't want to talk about the fact that he's gay. And like I said, they have their own don't ask, don't tell situation. And Danny says that his vibe right now in a confessional is protecting his peace. And he only wants to invite people into his life that fully accept him. And so Danny tells Matt he does appreciate how Matt can come from a place of love. But he also says that Matt is coming from the inside. And that Danny's living his life from the outside. And they hug again. And even we hear as they walk off Danny apologizing for his tone and how he doesn't often raise his voice, which I did not hear him do, but he takes accountability for that in a way that I didn't feel he needed to at all. I thought he was incredibly, incredibly graceful towards Matt. Um, so back at the house, Julie says she got a 911 text from Spencer, her husband, and also a phone call after that. And she's confused as to what that could be because uh, he just recently left the house. So she's wondering if maybe it's the kids. So she gets on the phone, but then she goes far off, like off the property, down the, down the sidewalk. And we never hear Spencer at all. And so Princess did ask me if she thought, or if I thought that this was a fake conversation 
And it very well could be. It very well could be, especially because we saw her have that conversation with uh, her husband before he got to the house about how boring it was and how she was the only one who's trying to make a TV show by falling on the sword and getting drunk. And, you know, it just seems like it wouldn't be a stretch at all to believe that Julie's trying to create more drama between Jamie and Spencer at all because she really seems to be forcing this like he was like the arbiter of my orgasms and I have this special connection but girl you have not spoken to him in 20 years so what is it what is so deep what is so deep with Jamie and like no shade to Jamie but Julie keeps talking about how he's so deep and only a few people get to see that side of him and what I'm seeing is a man who's like having a good time, cracking wise, and cracking open bottles of Pinot. <laughs> and like, I think he's just having a good time and he's probably kicking it with Julie because everybody else is going to bed at nine o'clock. I think this is a party boy. And so you're playing ukulele to him talking about how deep he is. Again, I, I mean, I just think that he's like a bro and that's fine. It's like no shade to Jamie, but I just feel like she's making a lot of their connection and he's just like living life. It really wasn't that deep. And I also don't think he like, he keeps saying that they just made out like, and it's not to say that you can't have an orgasm through kissing, but I would really love to know like what exactly they did. What, what happened anyway? So she keeps telling, um, you know, I'm not leaving, nothing happened. So apparently what happened is that Spencer looked on their Spotify account and saw that Julie had created a playlist called Roping. We saw them jump roping, right? She and Jamie. And that she added Jamie so that he could add songs to the account. And so some of the song title and maybe the lyrics, like Spencer went through it and felt some type of way, but Julie's telling him it wasn't that deep. It's roping as in jump roping. If I was really trying to fuck around with you, I wouldn't create a whole Spotify playlist that you could clearly have access to. Um, but after that, she's like, <laughs> cause he's like, I'll turn around right now and you can go home. She's like, I'm not doing that. There's not an emergency. I'm not leaving. But then after that, we just see her like having all this fun with Jamie. Like I said, I think he's just having fun with the only person who's awake. And she's like making a moment out of this. And they're like being loud. And Danny's telling her them to like keep it down. And Spencer keeps calling. She's like, oh, what's the problem? Blah, blah, blah. Um, I got to hang up because I'm having fun with Jamie. Bye. <laughs> you know that whole conversation you had where you wanted me to go back home? Nothing. Um, I can't talk to you right now. I'm, I'm hanging out with Jamie and only Jamie. And then he keeps calling and she's like, oh, you, Jamie, you can answer the phone if you want. And Jamie's like, uh, no, <laughs> definitely not. And yeah, it, it, it's like, is this bitch crazy? Like, girl, what is going on? Well, the episode ends with a close up on Spencer calling Julie's phone. Who Who's to know what's happening? This is not like some weird love triangle. I, like, I feel like if Jamie really knew what was going on, he'd be very upset about it. I'd, I'd be very curious to know, like, maybe I just got to ask him to come on the show. 
all right that's it you guys i'll be back later this week we're gonna be talking uh, the plathville and maybe a little housewives of dubai who's to say all right guys (laughs) 